Uh, I'm just going to invite our stewardship uh, pastor, Paula Easton, to come up to the stage. Let's give Paula a warm welcome. Thanks, Paula. BCC, it really struck me this morning just standing there watching a queue of people waiting to bless others. And that's just an incredible sight. Our message this morning in the Spokes theme is generosity more than giving. And I don't know about you, but I have often confused those two words and I've used them in the same context. I've used them to mean the same thing. And in preparing for today's message, I began to look a little bit deeper into the differences between them. So let's start by having a look at the definitions first of all. So giving is to present voluntarily and without expecting compensation. So I'm going to give out of my free will and choice and I'm not expecting anything in return. And generosity is a readiness and a liberality in giving. It is freedom from meanness or smallness of mind or character. And it is the virtue of being unattached to material possessions. I also had a look at the Greek word for generosity in the New Testament, which I'm going to try and pronounce as eumetadodos, and it means to give from a liberal attitude that is ready to share out, to be open-handed and ready to impart. And what struck me about these two different definitions was that giving represents an act and is often an isolated event. And in contrast, generosity is an attitude. It's about having a readiness and an expectancy to share. So I want to have a look at a few different aspects this morning of generosity and start with the why. Why should we be generous? Why does God want us to be? And we've already heard today, John 3.16 quoted, God's example to us was that he gave from a place of love. He gave because he loved us so much that his son was sacrificed for us. It was a very costly gift. It was God's most prized possession. And every day we see that God is a giver. Every day that we wake up, we've been given another day. We have breath in our bodies. We have a roof over our heads. We have food to eat, clothes to wear. God is constantly giving and pouring into our lives. But he not only does that, but wants us to copy that example. And he wants us to be a blessing to others, as we have seen so wonderfully demonstrated this morning. In Acts 20, verse 35, it says, In everything I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak. Remembering the words of the Lord Jesus himself, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And Proverbs 11.25 says, a generous person will prosper and whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. God is asking us to reciprocate that which we have received. The blessing that he has poured into us, he wants us now to pour out to others. Ephesians 5 verse 1 and 2 says, follow God's example therefore, as dearly loved children And walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. And we can see through these scriptures that love was central to all of this. That generosity comes not because 
we've been told to do it, not because somebody is saying it's the right thing to do, but because it is rooted firmly in love. Secondly, generosity brings into focus that which really matters, and that is the building of God's kingdom. God's kingdom is all about the eternal impact that we have on other people's souls, not the inward focus on our own lives. Matthew 6, 19 to 20 says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moth and rust do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. Now, interestingly, the first few words of that verse are a direct command to us. It says, do not store up treasures on earth. Not, it would be better if you didn't, or I'd prefer it if you thought about doing something different. It was a direct command, do not do this. Firstly, because God knows that anything that we store up here on earth is just temporary and will not last. It will fade, it will break down, it may even get stolen and be destroyed. But God is wanting our attention to be in the long-term view plan. He wants it focused firmly on eternal things because it is in that place that it will not be destroyed, that it will achieve what God determines it to. The things that we have, our possessions, the money that we have, even the lifestyles that we live or strive for, have the ability to be deceitful. They can end up causing us to have so much focus on self where everything then is geared up to what we can do for ourselves. This is the constant message that we're surrounded by in our day-to-day. Forget about everybody else. Look after number one. Self is what matters. And God's saying, no, I don't want you to concentrate on self. I want you to be thinking about eternity. I want you to think about my priorities. Mark 4 gives us the parable of the sower. In verse 19, it says, But the cares of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desire for other things comes in and chokes the word, and it becomes unfruitful. We could easily think that generosity is about the money that we've put into a, into a basket today, or the time that we've used to serve. But generosity is simply about our spiritual growth and development, our discipleship in Christ, because God wants us to be bearers of fruit. About six years ago, God began to challenge me on my understanding of generosity. I've grown up in church, got saved when I was six years old, and I've always tithed because I believed God's word was true and that that was the right thing to do. But I had started to think of myself as generous because I tithed. And God had to sort of shake that up in me a little bit and say, you know what, tithing is not about generosity. Tithing is about obedience. And so he then challenged me and told me exactly how much he wanted me to start giving, not as a one-off, but as a until further notice type of agreement. And so I was a little bit shocked. I was a little bit confused. Oh, I'm not sure if this is really God speaking. I don't quite like what he said to me. And I wish I could stand here and say to you that I was a good Christian girl who just heard God's voice and obeyed, but I didn't. And I let it settle and I walked away and I tried to forget about it and I hoped that maybe God would forget about it too. 
And in this time, I allowed myself to become distracted with other things. And there was one particular big distraction that came. And I know now that it was all part of what God was doing and it was all part of my journey and it was a test for me. And God was looking to see what my response would be. So as a family, we talked about the possibility of moving home. And I had found a home which I think ticked all the boxes for us, but it did require a very large mortgage. And I was so close to going through with this because I wanted it so badly. And I knew that those mortgage repayments would put us in a a difficult financial position for the next 25 years, not knowing if interest rates went up, if I could afford it or not, would have to make some serious compromises to our lifestyle. But yeah, I wanted it. Well, pretty much at the 11th hour, it was like God came knocking on the door and said, do you remember that conversation we had? Do you remember what I asked you to do? And he used this phrase with me, and it was, build my house and I will build yours. And I learned so many things from that story, but what God was trying to get me to do was stop thinking about the here and now because I've got some bigger plans for you. And I want you to start thinking and investing in my kingdom. I want you to think the way I think because I want you to do something. And thirdly, generosity brings freedom. Matthew 6:24 says no one can serve two masters either you will hate one and love the other or you will be devoted to one and despise the other you cannot serve god and money god knows that money reflects that which is in our hearts which is why three verses earlier to that in verse 21 he says for where your treasure is your heart will be also. Not your heart is already, but your heart will be. And God was challenging me, will you put that which I've entrusted to you into purposes of my kingdom because I want your heart to be there. I don't want your heart to be where it is right now. These things often cause us to look inward and be selfish. And God's saying, I want you to do things in a different way. And maybe a time of reflection for us is to actually say, okay, how am I using what God has entrusted to me? How do I spend my time? How do I use those abilities that God has put within me? Do I use them for your kingdom, Lord? Do I need to do more in that? It's important for us to see it as whole life generosity, not just the financial aspect. God wants our finances to honor him. He wants our abilities to honour him. He wants our time to serve him and honour him. So let's look at some ways how we can actually be generous. First point today is that generosity requires faith. In order for us to have this liberal attitude of being ready to share and being open-handed, we have to acknowledge that God isn't just the person who owns what we have to look after, but he's God the Father who has provided that for us. But he knows the struggles that we face. He knows all the things that were going through my mind as to why I couldn't or shouldn't do what he'd asked me to do. I doubted whether it was God talking to me, 
And if I, if I think back to that now, I'm thinking, surely the devil's not going to tell me to give to church. You know, but that's how our minds think. We, we come up with all sorts of excuses as to why we shouldn't do this because it hurts our flesh. And God's saying, I want you to put self down. I want you to embrace my purposes. And so, it, you know, we look at Matthew six twenty four, where God's saying, you can't serve me and money or serve me and mammon. But he knows the struggle. And immediately in verse 25 says, my paraphrasing, don't worry, I've got your back. I've got this. I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to provide food for you. I'm going to provide everything that you need. I want you to honor me. I want you to serve me in this. Faith increases our generosity. And generosity will increase your faith too. A little add-on to my story was that from the point of God talking to me and asking me to raise my giving to a certain level to the obedience part was 18 months. I wish it was sooner, but it wasn't. But in that 18-month period, God taught me so much, confirmed so many things to my spirit and was birthing something within me. And so we came to the point of saying, okay, this month we are going to action this as a family. We are going to start doing what God has asked us to do. And I was nervous. I really was because I didn't find it difficult to trust God with tithing because I had done it for so long and it had become natural to me. But now God was making me feel uncomfortable again because God wanted to increase my level of faith. And so we gave what God had asked us to give. And we got to the end of the month and we both got paid and, and everything was fine. And, you know, we hadn't been living on baked beans all month or anything like that. We hadn't had to reduce our standard of living. Everything was fine. And after about two or three months, I began to sit down and do some more serious sums and calculations because it was beginning to mess with my head. Because as an accountant, things have to add up. Otherwise, I'd be rubbish at my job. And so I'm saying, God, this doesn't make any sense. Can you explain this to me? So I knew that we hadn't had an increase in our income and we hadn't decreased our standard of living. Those two things had stayed exactly the same. The two things that had changed were this. Our savings had substantially increased and our giving had substantially increased. And I could not make any sense of that. But here is the bombshell that God showed me, and I hadn't noticed it at the beginning, was that the amount of money that we were now giving on top of our tithe was the equivalent of the mortgage repayments. And I knew that those mortgage repayments would have made life very difficult for us for the next 25 years. And God was proving to me, look, when you do things my way, when you put things into my kingdom rather than your own, my maths kicks in and it doesn't add up because I've got a bigger and greater plan and purpose for you. Randy Alcorn wrote a book called The Treasure Principle and in this he quotes this. God prospers me not to increase my standard of living but to increase my standard of giving. We often have these thoughts and misconceptions that generosity is for somebody who has a lot. Generosity is for somebody who is rich. Or it's easy if you have a lot to be generous. And none of that is true. Because the reality is it's not money that we need. 
is faith. It's faith in who our provider is. It's faith in what God has said and what God has asked us to do. My second point is that I want to encourage you, if you haven't already, to start with the tithe. Because that is sort of the, the base line really for developing an attitude of generosity. God asks us to return to him, not give to him, because the tithe is his. It's never ours to give in the first place. But with that obedience comes a level of protection and blessing that he can only release if we obey. Because it says in Malachi 3, if you do this, I will do this. We don't get the the, the second part, unless we've done our part. And I want to encourage you to do that and to seek to put God first in that. My misunderstanding was that I considered myself generous because I did that. But the reality was I was simply being obedient to God and what he was asking. And I needed to learn to go to the next level in my personal development and walk with God and develop generosity. Thirdly, we need to create margin. You know, if we look at our diaries and if we look at our bank statements, it tells us so much about ourselves. It tells us the sort of things that we like to do, where we spend our money, what our priorities are. And I want to encourage you to take time, step back and say, okay, God, if I need to be more generous in my financial ways, how do I do that? What are the things that you need to do? For us, it was about not upsizing our lifestyle. It was about keeping things the same. And that's how we created margin. And maybe today, you know, God's going to show you areas where you can maybe create margin for him in time or the way that you serve or the way that you choose to financially give. So let's look now at some of the effects of generosity. The first thing that I noticed was that it creates a greater sense of intimacy with God. We know that God provides, we know that everything that we have belongs to him and that he is the owner, we get to manage and steward that. But I want to challenge you to see him as more than just an owner, but see him as your provider, your provision, your heavenly father who's got your back, who knows what you need, when you need it, and is there to provide. As we start to take an interest and invest in the things that are important to our Heavenly Father, we start to notice a change within ourselves. I was surprised, although I shouldn't have been surprised, because it tells me in Scripture that my heart will follow my treasure. But as I started to practice things, and as I started to sow into new areas that I hadn't before, suddenly I began to be more passionate about those areas, because God had said that that's what would happen. If I gave everybody in this room today £1,000 and said, this is yours to keep, the only condition is that you go from here and you must buy some shares. You can pick any company you want to, but I want you to buy some shares. I can guarantee that every single one of us will suddenly start paying attention to what that company is doing, the reports that they produce, the stock price shares, whether they go up, whether they go down. Why? Because now we are suddenly invested in that company. And that is exactly how God wants us to view what we do with everything that we have. Secondly, fruit is produced and blessing increases. In 2 Corinthians 9, 6 to 11, it says, Remember this. 
Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly, so that in all things and at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your, your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. As our intimacy with God increases, so does our desire to fulfill his plans and purposes. And when God is at the centre of everything and everything that we do revolves around him, we find that our will, the things that we want, starts to line up with what he wants. Psalm 37 verse 4 talks about us trusting and delighting in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. And often this is a very misunderstood verse because people take it to mean all those things that I want, God's just going to give them to me. It doesn't mean that at all. When we choose to delight and when we choose to put all of our trust in God, what happens is there's a change within our heart. And what is in our heart becomes the things that God has put there. He puts the desires in our heart. He gives us the desires that are in our heart because they're right from him. And so when it talks about us giving what we have decided in our heart, I really believe that as you begin to embrace a generous attitude to all areas, that God begins to put into your heart what it is that you should do. Not the person next to you saying, nudge, nudge, you should have bought an extra bag for food bank. But be led by what God is saying because he will put that within you. He not only promises to supply seed, but he causes it to increase. And he causes it to increase because he wants us to continue to sow into people's lives. He wants this to be a continuous cycle, not a one-time event, not a gift, but an attitude of generosity. And we also see that when we start to release that which we have, joy comes. And we see this really well in the story of Scrooge. So at the beginning of the story, we know that he starts out in business, he develops friendships, he's engaged to be married, he's becoming very successful in what he does, he starts to accumulate a lot of wealth. But over time, all of those things start to drop away and all he's left with is the wealth and he becomes more and more introverted, more and more selfish, miserable. There is absolutely no joy in his life whatsoever and he ends up losing the things that were dear to him. So after his revelation and conversion at the end of the story, we see him taking that step to start being generous and, and releasing that which he had and had been holding on to so tightly. And as he does, joy comes. And the more he gives, the more joy comes. And by the end of the film, he looks like he's drunk on joy because he's so happy at what has been happening I began to look to see if I could find any scientific proof as to the effects of generosity in our lives. 
And I found that there's, um, there's actually a generosity initiative at the University of Notre Dame in America. And they did a study over five years with 2,000 people from all sorts of walks of life, different um, religions and backgrounds. And they watched the effects of generosity on their lives. And they noted that there were significant improvements in health, less stress, much lower rates of depression, much higher levels of happiness. But interestingly, they said this, there wasn't just a correlation between generosity and happiness, but a causation. In other words, generosity directly caused happiness. And this was because the act of generosity brought about neurochemical changes in the brain that then gave people more pleasure. And they also saw that generosity has to be practiced over time and that it's something that people have to engage with regularly. One-off things just don't affect us that much. And whereas when we repeat things, things that are sustained in our bodily behaviors and minds have tremendous effects on us. And the empirical evidence was very clear. Nothing we tested where you just do it one time has an effect. But all the things that you have to sustain over time have that effect. See, joy is a byproduct of generosity. It is a fruit of the Spirit. And joy is not something that we are going to find in our possessions, in our money, in our lifestyles. We might be a little bit happy about things, but it will not last because it's not true joy. Because true joy can only be found in our deep relationship with Christ. Because that's the way that he made it. We can never find that in anything else, only through him. And this is so perfectly illustrated. And Dami, you shared it earlier, 2 Corinthians 8, 1 to 7. Now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. So in the midst of a severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability entirely on their own. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. So we have extreme poverty, we have severe trials, we have overflowing joy and rich generosity. Now that cannot all be in the same sentence without there being a supernatural reason for it. It just can't. And we see that It says here that they gave themselves first of all to the Lord and then to us. They knew who God was, that God was their provider. They knew that they had to have God as number one in everything. There was no serving mammon, there was only serving God. That he had to be the be-all and end-all of everything for them. They by rights should have been miserable because of their circumstances and trials, but they chose not to be. They chose to choose joy, because they knew who God was. They knew who, uh, what God represented to them. That their joy was not dependent on their lack of provision. And they even saw that others were in more lack than themselves. I still have something to give. And because of my relationship with God, I am going to choose joy and I'm going to do this because God is at the centre of everything.
I want you to not see generosity as something that you have to do, but rather choose to see it as something that you have the utmost privilege to do. It blessed me so much to see a queue of people waiting to be generous and to impact the lives of others because you may not understand how powerful that was that you're impacting somebody's life, that you, in doing that, are storing up treasures in heaven. And then lastly, generosity transforms lives. We saw on the video story earlier the impact that a couple's generosity had on that family, how it enabled them to get out of debt and do the very thing that they felt God was prompting them to do in Adopt Children. And often we can forget about the effect that it has on the donor, I certainly experienced a lot of changes in me because I began to practice generosity, things that I hadn't planned for. I'd always focused on the other person and the recipient, but I didn't realize just how powerful that would be in my walk with God and what God was doing. And so I want you to watch the screen again now because we're going to see that story again, but this time we're going to see it through the eyes of the donors. Thank you. You know how God sometimes speaks to you out of the blue and asks you to do something sort of random? God has a very unique plan and purpose for each one of us. And I don't want you to think that generosity has a given formula that we all must follow. I've shared a little bit of our story today and the things that God was asking us to do. And you've seen another story in a film there and... God will just speak to us individually based on where we're at and the things that he has entrusted to us. But he wants us to have that attitude nonetheless. When Jesus is at the centre, all of our life is lived in relationship with God. All that we have received is with gratitude from God. And all that we are is released to God for the blessing of others. We're going to worship with a final song in a moment, but I just want to give you the opportunity to take a few moments to think about what I've said, to allow God to prompt you, to speak to you, to be ready and say, God, I want to develop an open heart. I want to be open-handed. I want to have an attitude of generosity in all the things that I do, in all of the ways that you have given me blessings I want to reciprocate that and so as we sing I want to invite you to come forward almost to just take a stand not necessarily for us to pray with you but just to say no God I'm serious about this I want to be effective in your kingdom I want to stop thinking about self I want to start doing the things that you want me to do the things that matter to you I want to be an impact in my community and in my workplace, wherever you have placed me. Maybe there's a specific area today that you've not surrendered to God. Maybe you've got the finance thing, you know, all done and sorted, that that's not an issue for you, but you've not allowed God any space in your diary, in your time. And God wants you to maybe give him more of that. He has opportunities for you to minister to people through your time and your abilities. And so as we worship this morning, please, I 
I can't encourage you enough to just allow God to minister to you, to speak to you and be prompted by him as to the action that we need to take today. Thank you.